Good morning. We're in a series where we're looking at letter John wrote toward the end of the first century. Uh, John outlived the rest of the apostles by almost half a century. He lived in Ephesus and ministered there from 70 to 100 A.D. We think Peter and Paul passed away in the 60s, so he outlived the rest of his comrades by, by quite a stretch. He then was the last living apostle, and as that, he was the final eyewitness. In an age where all kinds of people claimed to speak for God, John was in a class by himself. He heard, saw, and touched Jesus. The word made flesh. He wrote this letter while in Ephesus toward the end of the first century. He begins his letter, as we saw last week, by clarifying why he should be taken seriously as one who spoke for God. Because he saw the word made flesh, touched him, heard him, hung around with him. And he goes on, as we'll see today, to focus on the core of the Christian message. It's in your worship folder. I'm going to read it. Follow along. He writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God begins by talking about light. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John's message focuses then on this. The character of God the Father, that's where John focuses. He'll talk about Jesus, but Jesus gives us a window into what the Father is like. And what you'll find with biblical writers, they will zero us in on who is God the Father and what is he like. Uh, John will talk about loving. He will talk about what we're to believe. He will tell us about things. What he tells us first, this is the message, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. This letter is dominated by John's vision on who God is. The focus of Jesus' message was on the character of the Father as well. It's in your worship folder. It says in John 12, Jesus writes, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that 
whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus' light reveals who God the Father is. If that's light, then what is darkness? We could think of darkness as being somebody who's morally depraved, and that might be part of it. It seems biblically what darkness is, it's the inability to see the Father as Jesus saw him. I'm going to say that again. To walk in darkness is to walk not seeing the Father as Jesus saw him. That inability to know the Father makes or breaks Christianity. And that's where John, that's why he focuses where he does. That's why he starts us off there. To be in the dark, then, is to be ignorant of the character of the Father, to be in the dark concerning the Father. And and there is some issue... Uh, in the back of your worship folder, flip it, there is a, in, there's a quote from Philip Yancey, who wrote a book, The Bible Jesus Read. Good book. He talks about, well, let me just read it and you follow along. Although Jesus is the image of the invisible God, he emptied himself of many of the prerogatives of God in order to become a man. The late professor, Langdon Gilkey, used to say, and listen, that if evangelical Christianity has a heresy, if evangelical Christianity has a heresy, it is the neglect of God the Father, the creator, preserver, and ruler of all human history and every human community in favor of Jesus the Son, who relates to individual souls and their destiny. What he's saying, Jesus is God. The Father is God. What ends up happening, though, Jesus laid aside some of the prerogatives of God in order to become a man. And so sometimes we see Jesus, and he eclipses our view of God the Father. Jesus is nice, and he's comfortable. God the Father, ooh, there's a different story. What Jesus wants us to do is he will point us to the character of the Father and our ability to understand and see him as Jesus saw him is, is what John wants to focus us. And, and there is a reason, because in Ephesus where he was, the character of the Father was coming under attack. They, they had no problem with Jesus. They had a huge problem with God the Father. In fact, what they depicted, the God of Genesis, now again, you might say, this is crazy. But it wasn't crazy at the time. There was a heresy called Gnosticism that focused on this aspect of fuzzy father that ended up being really difficult for them to deal with. What they believed, now listen to this, Jesus is okay. The God who created the world, get this, was a deceived lower deity. He thought he was on top, but he wasn't. He created the world, and he put material things in place, and he was thinking that he was God, but he really wasn't. He was deceived, and there was a bunch of gods above him. The heresy was extremely popular, and John spent his ministry and combating it, and part of the deal was this. Gnostics didn't see how a good God could create an evil physical world. What they believed, that this is bad, bad. Anything associated with the body is bad. The only good part of us is the spirit. That's the good part. And and so the God who created this world then is a deceived lower deity, and the teachings of 
Gnostics did two things. And again, really quick. If you're interested in this, listen. If you're not, then buzz it off. We'll get by it. <laughs> they believe there's two major features. So salvation was about higher spiritual knowledge. And not everybody had this knowledge, but the ones who had this knowledge were considered the enlightened ones. Um, and not everybody had it. And they had, they got this knowledge through mystical things. They had to do these things and they had to follow these rituals. And then they might, if they tried hard enough, get to the place where they were one of the enlightened ones. And that's one thing they found the salvation was in higher spiritual knowledge. And so you could never really know if you were there. You just had to keep on going, learning more and more and more and more. They also believed that spirit was good and flesh was bad. So anything that was touched by flesh wasn't good at all. The flesh could, and what they believed, you could sin in the flesh, and the spirit, it was no big deal. So you could then, sexual immorality was okay, because that's just your body, and it's not your spirit. And so they did that. Some went in that direction. Others went in the direction, like if you saw the Da Vinci Code, that guy who wore the thing around his leg, and he whipped himself with the whip. You know what they said. Another expression of this, if the flesh is bad, beat the tar out of it. So indulge it or beat it, but that's what they ended up coming to, because there's a distinction between spirit and flesh. You say, Mike, that's kind of nutty. And it is kind of nutty, but you know the nut of this thing, what ended up happening with this? They didn't see loving people as being necessary. I'm too busy being spiritual to meet a physical need. Oh, geez, you don't have food. I'm sorry about that. You know, but food isn't all that important, really, in the, in the, in the big stream of things, is it? You know, the spirit is what's important. And I'm going to be very involved in doing spiritual things. So I'm sorry I can't meet your needs, but I'm too busy being spiritual to meet a physical need. To which John says, what the heck is that? You say you love God and you don't love your brother? He's, he doesn't have food, he doesn't have clothes, and you're going to walk away from him? And you're going to say, I'm close to God? And John says, think again. Because love to God is expressed in action. And if you claim to know God, you're going to do what he does. So, again, when John writes about love, he's not. this is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with people who... It's not that that they are too busy, it's that they think, ah, that's not even important. It's, it's not a big deal. This heresy alarmed John. Um, he sees then, because it's rooted, ultimately, the God who made the world is a lesser deity because flesh is bad. It's ultimately an attack on God the Father. Here's what it says. Look what it says in Colossians. Paul writes, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, and so I want you to see what Paul prayed. And we can learn a lot from, you know how it works in golf? You know, if you've, somebody is, you're on the green, a guy is in back of you, he's going to putt, and you're going to, and he have about the same line. You know what you do? You go to school on his putt, right? You, those of you who golf, I'm not a golfer. 
But I've done it before, and so what you do, you watch it, and you see Howard, and then you go to, okay, we can go to school with Paul's prayer. What are we supposed to pray for? Sue talked about praying, and prayer is, what a privilege. What should we ask for? Look, this is what he says. Uh, and so from the time we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the knowledge of whose will? God the Father. You know what Paul prays? I ask that you would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you know the Father better. And we could say, what's that do? Listen to what it says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be fully pleasing to him, to bear fruit in every good work, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all power, to be able to manifest endurance and patience. How do you get those things? Where do you get that from? You know where it begins with? having a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. Father, it leads to a strengthening, a, a, a sense of fullness that doesn't come just from focusing on Jesus. Now, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Father is good and Jesus is bad. You understand that they're both God, but we have a tendency for the Father to be eclipsed by the Son. And what Paul writes, I want you to see Jesus, but see Jesus in order to see the Father. What is the Father like? What is God the Father like? You know what? He's like Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? Who is Jesus comfortable with? That's who the Father is comfortable with. What did Jesus have trouble with? That's what the Father has trouble with. Um, If you're a person who just struggles along and you deal with things. Did Jesus have issues with those who struggled? Not a bunch, did he? Did he have issues with those who claimed not to struggle? Absolutely he did. Is that what we find with the Father? Yeah, absolutely. Um, knowledge of the Father's will is what Paul prayed for. From this verse on in First John, he starts to tell us about what happens if we don't get this clearly. And he goes on. Let's read. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. Again, do you remember what it means to walk in the darkness? To walk in the light is to see the Father as Jesus saw him. To walk in darkness is not to see the Father as Jesus saw him. I want to be clear. We think darkness, and it has moral implications. But at its heart, it's about not. It's about him. And then he goes on. Um, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John targets people who don't confess that they're sinners, It's going to be worse than that. But this is part of it. They don't confess that they're sinners. It says, um, 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, C.S. Lewis, turn the flip that over. There's one more quote. Really like this is from mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes, "If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run hopeless." But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemy to that goodness every day and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. (laughs) Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they need any forgiveness. What he's saying, if you don't have a sin problem, if you don't need any forgiveness, you have no business with Jesus. The Bible has nothing to say to you. If you're a sinner and you struggle, then the Bible has all kinds of things to say to you. But if you don't need forgiveness, close the book. Go somewhere else on Sunday morning. Go golfing. <laughs> no, just Some of you go, yeah, that's not, a, that's not a swing at you who go golfing on Sunday morning or mow the lawn on Sunday. It really is okay. I'm not going to put the big bony finger at you. Okay. Okay. Um, if it is after, after you've realized that there is a real moral law and power behind the law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power, it's after all this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. When you are sick, you will listen to the doctor. If you're not sick, the doctor has nothing to say. God is the doctor. We are spiritually sick, so that's why we listen to him. Not because we're not spiritually sick, but because we are, and we're all spiritually sick. These people are claiming not to be spiritually sick. That's their issue. See, John isn't merely targeting people who don't confess that they're sinners. He is targeting people who are confessing that they aren't sinners. It's not that they're not confessing their sin. It's they're confessing that they don't sin. Do you get that? How many of you are going to confess you don't sin? Come on. What's that about? So that's what he's dealing with. See, we've got to be clear about what's the problem here. What problem is he addressing? He's addressing people who are saying, oh, yeah, I, I guess I might have sinned once upon a time, but uh, I am happy to tell you that my forays into spirituality, I do these mystical chants, and I'm glad to be able to report that I no longer sin. No, 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 and... And if you listen to me and do the things, yeah, that's the kind of thing John's dealing with. That's what he's dealing with. Um, he's targeting people who are confessing that they're not sinners. If we say that we have no sin, what? How many of you have heard, are you aware of anybody who claims that they don't sin? Anybody hear that? I see a couple hands. Why would you claim that you don't sin? We're going to answer that question. You know what it has to do with? 
What would it have to do with? Here's a question. If you claim that you don't have sin, what's the deep issue? You know what the deep issue is? Darkness. Not knowing the character of the Father. If you know the character of the Father, you're not going to have a problem saying, I got a spiritual problem. If you don't know the Father, then you're going to say, I'm not guilty. So what's your issue? It's about, it's about your perception of Him. That's the issue. You get that? Yeah, that's why. Uh, we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The word to confess means to say the same thing as. It comes from two words, hama. It's like hama, homogenized, making homosexual. It it's, means the same. And hama legeo, a logos is a word. So the word, the Greek word, homologeo for confess is the same say, to say the same thing. So when, what's John's saying? Say the same thing that God says. That's what confession is. Say what God says about it. And these people are confessing that they're not sinners. Again, when you say the same thing, it's not describing something that's private. Because confession is what you did when the Roman, they had parades. And so if you're, if you're on the side and I'm Caesar and I'm coming down the aisle and, and so there would be people saying, confess that Caesar is Lord. And it's not saying, okay, if you don't say it to yourself, you say it out loud. And if you don't say it out loud, you've got a problem. See, the word confess here, it's not talking about something private. It's talking about something public. That's the issue here. You know what's happening? These people are publicly acknowledging, no, I'm not a sinner. That's what John's targeting. That's what he's targeting. The problem is that people were confessing they weren't sinners. Um, they were unwilling to not acknowledge their guilt. This verse is commonly applied to private confession. Private confession. If you sin and confess it to God, then he gives you forgiveness. If you sin and don't confess it, he doesn't. That's not what this text is directed at. It's not talking about private confession. Okay, so we can, you know, I don't, it's, it's talking about something more than that. See, the problem John is addressing is not people who aren't confessing their sins. It's that they're confessing that they don't have any sins. That's what he's dealing with. These, are these people Christians? Hard to say. Or is it? If you don't have a sin problem, do you need a Savior? If you don't have a sin problem, do you need a Savior? No. If you don't need a Savior, can you be a Christian? No. You know what these people are? This isn't written to Christians. You have to be a Christian. Right? This, this is a verse that's written to non-Christians. Again, we apply it. And what's happened in the church is that, boy, God forbid, if, if there's a sin that comes into your consciousness, 
and you don't confess it, you don't get forgiveness. Okay, we could talk about that. That's not what this passage is saying. And this is the passage that people talk about. It's not what he's addressing here. Um, again, the question is, why would you do this? If I come and tell you, I'm not guilty, what can you assume is happening in my head? I'm not guilty. <laughs> What's happening in my head? You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Indictment. That's what's happening, right? And if I say it out loud, you know what the deal is? I'll say outside that I don't have a sin problem, but what am I thinking inside? I'm really screwed. Because I've got this problem, and you know what he's like. He's ready to squash me like a bug. I know he'd never be able to accept somebody who does the things that I do. Where do you get that from? Some people actually believe that God can't forgive the sin I commit. Who do you think you are? Jesus' sacrifice really isn't enough to cover your sin? Really? Is there something more you should have done? You understand what I mean? There's an arrogance, isn't it, in believing that you're not forgiven? Again, I'm not jumping on you. I it's hard to believe you're forgiven. Maybe you need to get good at it. I remember I was in college dealing with some kind of, yes, sin. Dealt with sin in college. Not afraid to admit it. Just kidding. I talked to God. I said, I don't, I don't hear God talk to me. Sometimes thoughts hit my brain. Have that happened to you? You, you know, somebody just bing, it's just, so, God, why don't you give me victory over this sin? And you know what I, the sense I got? It's more important for you to learn to be forgiven than it is for you to get victory over that sin. You know what your issue might be? You're not good enough at believing you're forgiven. And you know what that's rooted in? We don't know the Father. No, that's, what, that's what John says. Um, look what it says in John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, perish, but have eternal life. Look what it says here. Could it be any more straightforward? God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Is that stuttering? I am, could, could it be said any more clearly? Why did God send his son into the world? To condemn the world? No, it was not to condemn the world. Gee. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Does the father want to point the finger and say guilty? He wants to point the finger and say not guilty. And you know what our issue is? We don't look at him long enough to believe him. What is he saying to you? He's saying, you're not guilty. Believe it. We tend to shy away from them. Oh, I can't talk to the Father. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's what Jesus wants you to know. That's what these people had issues with. That's why John says God is light. He's everything you ever wanted. You're going to see him. 
You're going to see him. And what we'll think, first thing, you are the one I've always wanted. No joke. That's what you're going to say. When you, when you, when you die and go to be with him, I can't believe I was afraid of you. I can't believe I spent so much time trying to dodge you when you are everything that I ever wanted to relate to. That's what it's going to be like. We were made to draw our life from the light of his smile. That's why you were created. To draw your life from the light of his smile. And when you are with him, you are going to go, no joke, finally, I am where I've always wanted to be. It was with you. That's what I was looking for. That's what it will be like. And But we're not there yet. You know, we have all these things. Look what he says. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved. Whoever believes in him, look what it says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Why is... Why is that person condemned already? Whoever doesn't believe in Jesus is condemned already. Why? What is his view of the Father? And if, and if, and if, the, if you see the Father doing this, does our belief condemn us? It does. It does. What you believe about the Father is critical. He's not doing this. It's, not, it's why he sent his son to, to say he's not doing that. And when you believe that, when you believe that, when you believe that, things start to happen. You start to bear fruit, grow in the knowledge of him. Endurance, patience, it starts, the flywheel starts to catch. You find yourself again talking to God, opening your heart to Him. Takes time. Um, He goes on, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, yet his work should be exposed. Everyone who does evil hates the light. I want you to listen to me. What is this person's problem? This person, he does evil, and he's in the dark, and he's afraid to come into the light because he's afraid his deeds will be exposed. What is this person's problem? Is his problem that he has evil works? Is it? What is his problem? He doesn't know that the Father doesn't condemn. That's his problem, right? Because otherwise he could take this stuff and he could enter the light because he knows what I know about the light is there's not condemnation here. You know what he end up doing? Again, is sin wrong? Yeah, it is. Does sin hurt people? Absolutely it does. Where are you going to take it? Take it to the light. You know what ends up happening? We go to if you've ever been to the doctor, you've never done this. You give the doctor the symptoms, and then after you express them, you leave the office. 
yeah, you know, here, you know, I, boy, I got this pain here, and I got, you know, I got numbness in my hand. That doesn't make much sense, does it? You know what you're going to do? You say, what's my problem? What's my problem? You ever think of doing that with God? I just, I almost bit that person's head off. I just am so anxious. I just can't get a nice rest. What's my problem? Be quiet. You won't always hear something. But that's a better attitude. Otherwise, sometimes we end up going in, I, I did that, that thing, and we're just waiting for, I don't know, what are we waiting for? Smack across the face? I mean, that's not going to be a smack. So, when you go to him, tell him about it. And then be quiet. Ask him, is there anything I need to know? What would you tell me? Father, Father. That's interesting. You're not a judge. You're a father. He goes on, um, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and will not come to the light lest his word should be exposed. It's talking about whoever does evil. What's the opposite of doing evil? Doing? You know what's interesting here? It's not going to say that. The opposite of doing evil is not doing good. What is the opposite of doing evil? Well, look what it says. Last verse. But whoever... You see what it says? Does the truth... You know what the opposite of doing evil is? Doing truth. What's the truth? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the opposite of doing evil is not doing good, it's doing truth. If you have to suppress all your evil and cover it over with good things, you know, don't you live your life in a balance? You know, you have bad things on this scale and boy, you know, last night I did this, so I guess I better go to church in the morning. Maybe I'll even have to listen if he doesn't go too long. Maybe, oh, God forbid, maybe I'll have to throw something in the offering bag or say something nice to somebody. You know what I mean? It's just like, boy, I really messed up last night, so I might have to go for the rest of the month. And what are you doing? Trying to balance the scales. And that's, you don't balance the scales. Bad, good doesn't balance bad. Truth balances bad. What's the truth? What's the truth? The Father is not somebody you need to be afraid of. That's the truth. Um, Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The opposite of being afraid to come into the light is I come into the light and I know that something's changing in me. I tend to be able to talk with him. And what I want you to see, here's what it says, I didn't do this. I just started thinking about his commitments to me rather than my commitments to him or his commandments. And as this image of him, I find myself, again, I'm not talking. This is what you end up starting to talk about. I'm changing. You come into light so there may be clearly seen that what has been done has been done through God. You said, and you know what? It hasn't been because I've been trying real hard. I just started to think about the Father and, and all of a sudden, I'm changing. I'm not afraid of him. That's kind of the way it works. That's why John 
its focus is where it is. Um, there is a really quick thing I'm going to hit, and then we're going to tie this up. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. This is the last part of the verse. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. Okay, really quick. Some of you are really going to want to turn me off now because I'm going to use big words, propitiation and expiation. Expi- what? what? Real quick now, let's get this. Some of you like this kind of stuff. I like this kind of stuff. Um, propitiation is, let's say Micah is God. <laughs> Don't laugh that hard. Her dad, is, her dad is just falling off the seat. Boy, oh my, oh my God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So there is the, um, let's say this reflects, i gotta, I got to have a problem here. There it is. Here's my problem. Here's my problem right here. So let's say this is sin, and I'm a sinner, and Micah is God. Propitiation is when I do something because you're mad, and I do something, and I and I, and I make promises and commitments to try to get you not to be mad at me. That's propitiation. It's directed at the offended God. And that's the word they use. The literal meaning of this word, helios, is to be gracious, favorable, benevolent, and cheerful. That's what helios means. This word translated propitiation literally means the means by which God becomes Helios. Okay? That's what it means. The means by which God becomes Helios. Now, there's two ways God could be Helios. Let's say I sin, and one way is scowl at me. Oh, there's a scowl. Oh, boy, I tell you what. Whoa, I tell you what. Uh, send, that, send that plate back again. Do that scowl. Oh. So, I'll give more money. Because I need to sacrifice something to make you like me again. It's directed at the offended God. That's propitiation, and I think it's wrong. There's another one, expiation. Expiation is not directed at the offending God. It's directed at the offending act. This is my sin. And the word for that this in the Hebrew it doesn't have the sense of ransom. It's not a ransom that I have to beat something. Or The word literally is to wipe something away. Wipe it away. I'm going to be, I'll be God now and you be the sinner. This is your sin. There's a couple ways this could work. So she gives me her sin. Give me. Okay, tell you what, 25 push-ups, 50 Hail Marys, 25 Our Fathers, a year's worth of service, and then I'll tear it up. That's one. I don't think that's the picture here. No, I think the picture is here. We never bought that. It was about this. Now, you come to me, and then what are you going to get? When you come to me with that, I'm going to take that out of the way because what I want you to do is look at me and look at me seeing you. You were meant to draw your life from the light of my smile. 
And as that's believed, that will change her, has changed her, has changed her. Not looking at me. That's a whole whole different issue. That might blind you, actually, especially from here. That might be... Um, what are we to confess? Um, you know what? You know what confession is? It's holding two things. It's holding your sin. Hold it. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. You don't have to tell everyone. You can tell him. Don't hurl it. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. That's why I'm doing wrong. He did. It's her. Hold it. Don't hide it. Don't hurl it. Hold your sin. And there are sins of commission. You've done things you shouldn't do. You know what the final sin is? Coveting. You've wanted things you shouldn't want. How many of you are going to be able to trash that sin? You're going to be able to create? I saw somebody. No way you can't. You can't deal with coveting. You're going to sin. Okay? So, you're going to, you've done what you shouldn't do, or you haven't done what you should do. God says we lay it down our lives for others. How many of you love to the degree you need to love? I don't. I don't. Hold your sin. And you know what you do? And hold his hand at the same time. Do you know what you do when you acknowledge your sin? God, you know what? I did blow it. Not just in this, but I blow it in areas that I don't even know. Not only did I do the don'ts, but I didn't do the do's. Not only sins of commission, sins of omission. But you know what? And here's what the new covenant says. You're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. God says he will never cast you adrift. And never leave you behind. I'm going to recommend something for you. Again, I've talked about this, but you're still in me. I want you to try to remember this. Four statements, really short. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. You cut that person off in traffic or you say something to your family that you really wish you hadn't said. Draw alone for a little bit. God, I really don't like it when I do that. I wish I had been more loving and I really wish I hadn't. But you know what the good news is? You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Your face is not going, <clears throat> it's not it. Guaranteed. You went online and you looked at stuff you shouldn't look at. Stuff you shouldn't look at. And you come away from that thinking, you hate me. No, he doesn't. You know what I want you to do? After you do that, I want you to think. You know what I want you to think? Four things. God, I really wish I hadn't done that. Said what I said. Watch what I watch. Number one, tell me, 
Number three. What's four? Can you say that one more time? Give me the first. Second. Third. Fourth. And you know what that will do? That will start to change your vision of the Father. And that will change your life. Worship team, come on up. Dear Father, we just ask that we understand who you are and understand light is coming to understand you given the reflection that Jesus has given us. Help us to know that you're with us, that you're in us. Good is guaranteed. Help us to remember that in times in good and help us more importantly to remember it as we bump into ourselves in the middle of the night. Uh, we love you and we thank you for what you've, you've done and what your son has done. Help us to walk in the light of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.